tales of Northern Michigan's past. I'm your host, Christopher Struble. The first lighthouse in recorded history was Egypt's Pharos of Alexandria. Built around 200 BC, the light itself came from a huge open wood fire at its peak. Not only was Egypt's lighthouse the world's first, at 450 feet tall, it was also the tallest one ever built. Today's lighthouses not only serve as sentinels over our waters, they also have become top tourist destinations all around the world. They are romantic, historical, slightly spooky, and mystical all at the same time. And we really couldn't ask for a better guest today as we talk about Michigan's historical lighthouses than Diane Stampler. Diana is the founder and director of Promote Michigan, and she's also the author of Michigan's Haunted Lighthouses. Uh, greetings, Diana. Hello. Always happy to talk about lighthouses. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, sure has. Uh, you and I share so many of the same interests, uh, especially when it comes to regions of Michigan and their amazing history. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think we ever have a conversation that's less than an hour because we just get <laughs> off on these historical tangents, right? It's great. Endless. <laughs> Uh, my daughter, and uh, Michaela, and I, uh, we, we loved to visit lighthouses when she was younger. At the first lighthouse, she was uh, given um, a passport. And as you and I recently discussed, that's a nice way to encourage travel to more lighthouses. In fact, as many more lighthouses as, trust me, was uh, humanly possible before Dad was no longer cool. Uh, it was actually a great bonding time for us, though. Uh, when did you first become interested in Michigan's historic lighthouses? It's interesting. I grew up down by Kalamazoo and lived about 45 minutes from Lake Michigan. Our beach of choice was South Haven. And I'm sure in high school when we made those trips, sometimes, you know, missing school, uh, I'm sure I saw the lighthouses, but they didn't, it didn't register with me about them. But in 1997, after I had graduated college and was into my second profession, um, I was working at West Michigan Tourist Association in Grand Rapids, and my first project with them was to catalog all the lights on Lake Michigan. They publish a magazine called the Lake Michigan Circle Tour and Lighthouse Guide, and they um, that was my baby. And so they said, okay, we need, to, we need to find out more. Are we missing any of the lights? So I started this spreadsheet of every light, the city it was in, how tall it was. Was it an active light? Could you climb the tower? Did it have a museum? Was there a gift shop? Could you spend the night? Did it have a bed and breakfast? You know, all of these different things. And that was the moment that I realized, A, Michigan has more lighthouses than any other state. Of course, we have more miles of freshwater coastline, so they kind of go hand in hand. But that these lighthouses served such a purpose that I, I didn't really realize or understand earlier on. And as soon as I got into that, it, it, I just kept going further and further into the history and becoming fascinated with the lights and the stories of their keepers and the restoration of them and the preservation for future generations. And it's just gone crazy since then. Yeah, so much history, right? Right. I mean, there's some great history near Shishwa. There was um, a, actually a court case that was tied to there. A gentleman yep. who, I believe he was a fisherman, lived in the area, and there was some disagreements going on, and, and somebody went in to kind of uh, beat the guy up in his own home, and he ended up shooting the guy because he was an intruder. And that actually led to the court case, which I think was tried on Mackinac Island, that uh, you had the right to defend your home. And uh, it was there's a book about it called Murder at Shishwa. Yeah, that went to uh, he the the gentleman who uh, who shot who was who was shot actually owns a house in Saint Ignace, owned a house in Saint Ignace that's now owned by a friend of mine, and he was actually going over there to have an affair. And the gentleman, the fisherman at Seishwa, was was kind of obviously fed up with this. And he one time stood up and, and defended himself. 
and uh, and that was the first ruling of justifiable homicide. Mm-hmm. Then went to the courts in Grand Rapids, and then that became sort of the universal rule as far mm-hmm. as the, you know what what are your rights to defend yourself. And yeah, that's, uh, it's, and it's a great history. They have a great uh, the the Gulliver Historical Society has published a great history, and that's the thing too. When you do these research on lighthouses, you may start on lighthouses, but you end up down these other rabbit holes. Yep, there's and anything that has to do with history, you know, you run into some of these things with, and I'm sure you'll talk about it at some point because you and I have a fascination with the whole prohibition and the rum runners. I mean, they, they're all intertwined into Michigan's history. Yeah, we've had a couple episodes on that. We're going to be addressing that you know, further, too. Uh, the Tower of Hercules, built in the second century in Spain, is the oldest standing lighthouse in the world, from what I've been able to find. What's the oldest lighthouse in Michigan? So Michigan's first lighthouse was actually built about uh, 12 to 15 years before Michigan was ever a state, which is kind of interesting. Michigan became a state in 1837, but Fort Gratiot Lighthouse was built uh, in 1825, and um, the current light was, was the second light. They actually built it a little bit uh, down the coastline. Um, so we're looking at 200 years coming up in just a few years yeah. for that, and it's still an active light. It's beautiful. Uh, I've been through it. I've walked the grounds. And a few years ago, I was actually covering the Bayview to Mackinac Yacht Race, which starts right there in Port Huron. So I got a chance to see it from the water as well, which was, I mean, it, it was just great because you get so many different perspectives of that lighthouse. And it is just a beautiful, uh, a beautiful sentinel for the state of Michigan, which don't you think, I mean, Michigan doesn't have a state symbol. We have a state stone and a state mammal and a state flower. And I think it would be up between the lighthouses or the Mackinac Bridge. But I would think lighthouses should be our official state symbol, don't you? Well, I mean, like as you mentioned, we can boast having more lighthouses than any other state. And actually, as far as concentration, there's more concentrated here than any place in the world, really. Yes, um, absolutely. And accessible. Accessible, yeah. You know, it's it's great because you can you can drive the Lake Michigan Circle Tour. There's a circle tour for every one of the Great Lakes, and then uh, Mich- Lake Michigan, of course, the only Great Lake with entirely within the United States. Um, you have a handful of island lights, particularly in northern Michigan and the Straits of Mackinac, and then obviously in Lake Superior. But I I would think that we have more accessible lighthouses as well in in any part of the world. Yeah, if you come up the east coast, the east coast through um, around Lake Huron, I mean, you can hit like five, four on that stretch, then come around the Straits of Mackinac, the Gulf and Point, and I mean, in, in an hour and a half, two hours, you can you can at least look at a six six lighthouses. Well, and what's great too is that the Great Lakes Lighthouse Keepers Association is based in Mackinac City, yep. and they partner with Shepplers, mm-hmm. and they do lighthouse cruises. And I've done both of these. They do a, a western Straits and eastern Straits. They do trips up the St. Mary's River to um, up to the Sioux, and so you get a chance to see uh, many of those offshore lights. Uh, they take trips out to St. Helena Island. We did that a couple of years ago, which is an ongoing restoration. That's one of the handful of lighthouses that you can volunteer as a volunteer keeper. Uh, they have programs like that at um, uh, Grand Traverse Lighthouse. They have one at Old Mission Point Lighthouse, South Manitou Island, uh, Point Iroquois, many of the others. Uh, two of the lights in the Straits are, are doing some great things, two or three of them actually. Um, you have White Shoal, which is the candy cane or barbershop pole mm-hmm. light, um, and Spectacle Reef. They're doing restoration, and you can volunteer to be part of the restoration crew Yes. at various stages. Detour Reef went through a lot of that um, over near Drummond Island as well. And so it's it's interesting the number of people who are committed to preserving these lights. 
and are buying them and restoring them. And then once they're restored, I mean, once White Shoal is restored, which is the tallest light, I believe, on Lake Michigan, you'll be able to go and stay there. It'll be like a bed and bring your own breakfast kind of place. Mm -hmm. But you can cook food in the kitchen and stay there. And what an experience. Which one's the crib light uh, off to the east of the Straits where you you can stay the night? Uh, they actually lift you up in a crane. You have to be over 18 years old. Oh, wow. I wonder if that, is that way over at Detour? I, I can't, can't remember if it's, if it's that far or if it's the one, it must it must be that one over yeah, that Yeah, because I direction. don't think, like, you've got Poe Reef and a couple others in that area, but I think, the only one I think there that you can stay in right now is detour on that northern part of lake huron and do you, do you know about them lifting you up with a with a crane no but I, that that probably takes it off the list for me because that sounds a little scary to me <laughs> we were waiting from eight uh, michaela to turn 18 thank god she uh, she she moved away to hawaii before <laughs> i was committed to that and and we, we mentioned we have more lighthouses uh, than any other state uh, approximately how many do we have in michigan well this is a tricky question because yeah. i say more than 125 because mm-hmm. There are different definitions of a lighthouse. So technically, a lighthouse has to have the tower and the house attached to it, which would mean that um, Charlevoix, for example, would not be a lighthouse. It is a light or a beacon or a navigational aid because there's no house. The keeper didn't stay in that structure, Mm -hmm. which is a a little bit different. And then you have things like what we have, uh, I call the the water... um, water heater lighthouse like what we have in Petoskey or they have in Pentwater or Saugatuck which you know as they modernize lights or some places just have steel towers that look kind of like the old windmill towers so those again are are, at, are lights not true lighthouses so there's more navigational beacons than lighthouses I think because of that but if you get a chance Petoskey used to have a gorgeous kind of art deco looking lighthouse at the end of the pier yes they did and I always said, I have a few pet projects. If I ever win like the $200 million lotto, that rebuilding that down there would be one thing that I would like to see done. They were actually going to rebuild that and the big, not the hole in the ground in Petoskey, but in that void in front of Perry Hotel. Uh, there were talks about that about six years ago. They're going to they're going to re- replicate that in that in that section right there. You know what's interesting about these lights is uh, back when they were built in the uh, 1800s. You know these things cost seven thousand fifteen thousand twenty thousand was a big ticket for a lighthouse wagashants which is up near mackinac number one on the doomsday list in ruins in the great lakes um i'd be surprised if it's still standing in five years it's in such bad shape that's actually Um, on my list to talk to you about it you know i think it cost eighteen thousand to build that just to stabilize it is a million dollars today you get the high water levels the high water all the waves of course the Straits of Mackinac the the free I mean that light was built in the 1850s so all of the freezing and the thawing every year it was bombed during World War II Uh, it was used for bombing practice so it's suffered a great deal Uh, but it's just interesting 18,000 wouldn't do anything out there today and that's an offshore light so you think they had that's a lot of work to build that they have to you know uh put foundations or i don't even know what all the uh, the terminology but all of the architectural and and engineering feats that had to be done to build those yeah they put caissons coffer dams so and can... stuff around it um so eighteen thousand, you know was a high price because of where it was at 
but now over a million just to stabilize it. Not even That's just to build around it, to keep it from falling over. That has nothing to do with actually restoring or preserving the tower itself. And, and that's what I like about your, your book, um, uh, Michigan's Haunted Lighthouses, is that you, you touch on the on the paranormal and you and you go into depth about that also, but you, you put so much of the of the history uh, uh, that's involved with these and surrounds these lighthouses, which I think uh, so many people, including myself, uh, re- really enjoy. And with the lighthouses, I mean, there's just so much. You have 125 lighthouses, let's say, and each one averages at least 10 keepers, sometimes 50 keepers over the course of its history. Multiply all that out, and how many stories are there to be told? Yeah, how many families has history has it touched? Yes, and a lot of as um, you know, we have the families, the keeper, his wife, and the children who assisted uh, in that assignment, the family job that they had. But you also had a lot of keepers that the sons and grandsons went on to be keepers. The niece, the nephews, sometimes the nieces went on. The wives sometimes went on. Um, so it became, you know heritage to that family and I just love digging in I keep begging my dad my dad's a genealogist I'm like you haven't found us a a lighthouse keeper in our family tree yet what's up with that there's got to be one there's got to be right well you know what I've kind of given up on finding one in my own family tree but I found it um fun to go through and look through the keepers family trees and so now with ancestry and find a grave and and a lot of these lighthouse keepers um their logs are still around or they wrote biographies or had stories articles written about them newspapers.com is one of my greatest resources and so if you had tragedy or there were promotions or there were um uh, appointments a lot of these articles so i'll go into newspapers.com and just start searching for the keepers names and that's, it gives you a different perspective of a story written about them in the 1800s, early 1900s to add to that history. And the more I dig in, the more I find, and the more I find, the more I want to find. And it just, more it's, a perpe- holes. it's a perpetual uh, game, a search. I, I love the research of it. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I've, I've camped and I've hiked so much of uh, South Manitou Island, located just off the coast of the Leonel Peninsula, uh, when I was living in Traverse City. And I, I got to know... Uh, what is the tragedy that happened on South Manitou Island? Well, there's a lot of them. Um, I'm going to tell you a gruesome one first, and then I'll tell you the the specific one to the lighthouse. So South Manitou Island, which I've been there a couple times, beautiful, beautiful island. Right? Um, you could take a day trip. Um, Manitou Transit should be taking trips starting soon here in May for a day trip. Um, that's the deepest natural harbor in northern Lake Michigan. And so when steamers would come through going from Chicago to Detroit, they, you know, they would come in there and get cordwood if they mm-hmm. needed it, get supplies. Um, they would take refuge in the harbor if um, the weather was bad, of course, guided in by the lighthouse there. Um, but back in the mid to late 1800s, there was a disease that affected a lot of people in America, particularly in the Great Lakes, called cholera. I believe it was a waterborne disease. Well, it was very contagious, and so imagine if you have a giant uh, steamer full of passengers, um, and you're going from Detroit, and you're coming through the Straits of Mackinac, and you know you're headed to Chicago. Do you really want to go into Chicago Harbor with a bunch of dead bodies that ha- people have died from cholera or something like that? So rumor has it that they would pull off and they would dig shallow graves at South Manitou down by the light, 
and buried the dead who had died from cholera. There are also accounts that if there were passengers who likely would not survive between there and Chicago, they were also buried alive there. So that itself is just quite tragic. A bit of an ominous uh, past. Yes, it is. Um, You can only imagine, sorry I'm getting so gruesome, but, you know, the waves coming in. Shallow graves near the water. So let's go to Chris Point Lighthouse just for a second. Uh, that was like an 18-acre parcel of a peninsula that was out there that, uh, that has been washed away. And now, of course, the crib light itself is right there towards the towards the shore. That's one of the more endangered lights also. The cemetery was located, as you're looking out towards the water, just to the left. And that's just about where the waves are crashing in now. And that's one of the concerns of the, the on-site caretaker right now is that there's one a cemetery the, right there. Right there. And one of these summers, we're going to start seeing July. leather boots and You know my fascination and, for cemeteries. I know. Oh, I am so going there. Just walked a little bit to the to the shore on the, on the, I, on the I south I've been side to there. the light. Uh-huh. Actually, that was the light when I discovered that I couldn't climb towers anymore. I got about six <laughs> steps up and had a panic attack and had to come down. I was by myself. And uh, so that was the situation. But now I'm going to have to go check that one out but yeah, that's uh, going to be happening with the high water levels here that's, that's a, a very a very um <laughs> very realistic possibility Ooh, here. that's that's kind of scary so all right so in addition to buried the bodies macabre. on <laughs> south manitou the lighthouse there um was tended for about 12 years by Aaron and Julia Sheridan. Aaron was a Civil War soldier. Very common for soldier veterans of the Civil War to get appointments as lighthouse keepers because they were all government positions. Um, He lost the use of his arm in battle. And because of um, that, because of the importance of that particular port, the deep harbor there, and the the height tower, I think that's 117 steps to the top of that lighthouse, um, he was able to get his wife, Julia, appointed as a, an official assistant keeper. So they both were paid, both recognized uh, by the Lighthouse Service. She assisted there as the assistant keeper, also raised six sons. So talk about multitasking. Everybody's we'll, busy. We'll dig into the, the, the women a little bit more here uh, as we go along. Um, but in March of 1878, Aaron and Julia had hired a local fisherman on the island to take them over to the mainland, which would have been... Uh, Glen Arbor, Glen Haven area. Uh, and back then, they traveled in an open-aired sailboat. It was called a Mackinac, about 25 feet long. And because Aaron didn't have full use of both arms, that's why they would hire uh, this this fisherman. Uh, on the return trip, the boat capsized right as they were coming into the harbor. And uh, Aaron, with his one arm, was unable to save himself, his wife, Julia, and they had their nine-month-old baby, Robert with them. So they all three perished that day. Um, the fisherman clung to an overturned boat and was rescued the next day. And after an investigation, it was deemed it was a, a weather-related accident. He was not at fault. Um, the two oldest Sheridan brothers were in the tower when the ship went down. And even though there was a life-saving station right there at the harbor, um, the storm was so bad that they couldn't get out to them in time. And so there was... Um, they were never rescued. The bodies were never found. Uh, and it became quite a tragedy for the Sheridan family. Uh, ironically, George Sheridan, who was one of the um, the second oldest, he was in the tower that day, went on to become a lighthouse keeper himself, served down in the south part of Lake Michigan, um, St. Joe area, and then was also in um, South uh, Saugatuck 
for several years. Um, but he actually ended up taking his own life. Um, depression from that incident with his family, his whole life was a, a struggle. Um, some other family issues at home, and he hung himself in the boathouse at Gross Point Light in Evanston, Illinois, where his cousin was the keeper. And his story, among many others, will be in my next book about Great Lakes Lighthouse and death, uh, the 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 murder and uh, macabre of of the lighthouses, but another family that just struggled with tragedy in in their service. Hmm. Well, Diana, we'd like to have you back maybe and talk just about the women of the of, of the lights. I mean, I think there's a, there's a whole another whole another uh, episode there. Oh, um, there's there's such great um, you know inspiring stories. I would love to come back and share more about them. And you mentioned you have one more book coming out, and of course your current book. Uh, Michigan's Haunted Lighthouses. Where do we find the current book and when can we expect the second book and where do we find that one? So uh, Michigan's Haunted Lighthouse is available now and there's a children's version of it coming out in uh, May. You can get those at mihauntedlighthouses.com uh, or McLean and Aiken has my book and I'm assuming we'll have the, the children's book when it comes out. Right downtown Petoskey. Right downtown. Uh, one of my favorite places. To, uh, I just went and signed a couple of copies of the book recently. And then the new book, I'm assuming they will carry that as well, but you'll be able to get that on my website, and that comes out in March of 22. Well, special thanks to Diana Stanford for joining us, and make sure to follow us as we uncover more of Michigan's rich and diverse history at Tales from Northern Michigan's Past.